Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman, and this week, Free's Company, but Four's a podcast, as I'm joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. Callum Petch. Hello. And Mike Shawcross. Hello. As we take a look at the last week or so in film, um, featuring new release reviews of Divergent Insurgents and the SpongeBob SquarePants movie, among other things. Um, we're going to start off, though, with the quiz where Owen is winning 2-0 and I'm dangerously close to being <laughs> the revenge. Um, I, I know, Callum, you were particularly keen for Owen to see Kill Keith. Uh, what did you make of the whole thing when it happened, when the news <laughs> broke? I, I did. I, I was feeling a bit sad and miserable when I looked on Twitter, <laughs> saw the image, and proceeded to laugh like a giddy, crazed maniac. Yeah. <laughs> You didn't suffer suffer through the film yourself, though. I I, I might do at some point, actually. I I, I might put just just to see. Curiosity is getting the better of me at the moment. Yeah. You must have seen it, Mike, if it was shown at a Cineworld. Surely. I no, I avoided it. (laughs) Even you avoided it. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure Kill Keeps is even too bad for Cineworld, to be honest. (laughs) No, it had it on. I avoided. it. Did it? Wow. Yes. That, must that was shown at places? <laughs> yes, I'm sure it was. Wow. Okay, so shall I go straight into the quiz then? Yes, let's, let's crack on. And it's Steve versus Mike and Callum. Yes. Could be close. Okay, I've got an idea of what I'm going to make. I feel like it. we should throw this here so that oh, we could put Steve through something equally as bad. <laughs> but by throwing it, you've got to win, so... <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That's the point. kind of a flaw in the plan but never mind <laughs> <laughs> Look, okay. okay right right let's go okay 1991 they were in JFK um nope no one having a guess Kevin it wasn't Kevin Costner no it's always annoying when you see a film and then you draw a blank as to what who's in it yeah okay right moving on 1992 they were in Under Siege. Gary Oldman. Not Gary Oldman. It's not Stephen Sakao, is it? It's not, no. I'd have loved, it'd be great if he was in JFK. You having a guess, Callum? Uh, no. No, okay. Right, in Who's... 1993, they were in The Fugitive. Tommy Lee Jones. It's Tommy Lee Jones! Thank you, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> so, Steve. Oh. <laughs> Fuck you, Mike. <laughs> yeah. So I get to choose a film for you to watch, Steve. Um, and guess what you're going to watch? I'm not going to guess because it could be literally any pile of shit. Well, <laughs> you're going to watch Kill Keith. 
the point of that? Without watching it yourself, you're going to watch it now. It's back on you. That's... <laughs> What is the point? I mean, hopefully, 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 all I'm hoping is this means that we have reached a point where we cannot recommend a worse film than Kill Keith, so we start recommending good films to each other now. <laughs> <You're right laughs> I don't think that's happening. Right. Uh, so I'm, now, I'm now picturing Kill Keith as like a cursed videotape. It's just going to be passed between people forever. Like, <laughs> I, I'm free! I'm free! It's not mine anymore! What, like The Ring? <laughs> yeah, exactly like that. Yes. So, um, yeah, you're gonna have a tr- trouble finding Kill Keith as well. I had to pay to rent it. I couldn't find <laughs> it. I hope you've got two pound fifty spare at the moment, Steve. Uh, we'll see. Two pound fifty goes on Kill Keith on the electric meter. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, right. On, on that note. Um, Good night. See you. See you next week. <laughs> uh, no, on to on to the news. And I suppose the biggest news from uh, this week is that Joss Whedon will not be taking the reins of Avengers: Infinity War Part One or Two. Yeah, well, he's he's apparently. So I learned today. Actually, already said he's not doing any more anyway. So it was yeah. almost a case of Marvel finding out who else they're going to get to do it, and um, the result is. Anthony and Joe Russo, the two brothers responsible for um, Winter Soldier, and they're also working on Civil War at the moment. So that's good news, in my yeah. opinion. If Whedon's out, they're probably best placed to, to take over from is, them. Is there a reason that he's not doing it? Is he just doing new projects? He had a fallout with with. Marvel? I believe I believe he said I believe he said he's just tied. He just wants to make his own stuff again, like his own universes yeah. and his own shows. Like it's it's just yeah. best, it's it's Whedon being restless, basically. Like. Um, it's been, God, it's been like five years since Dr. Horrible and Dollhouse, which is like the last time he did original sh- stuff. Like, uh, afterwards, there was been Marvel and yeah. much ado about nothing in between it there. Like, uh, he's even said he wants to make new stuff of his own, and I, I'm fine with that. Like, he's done a great job shepherding this series. I'm looking forward to what he does next. I'm still continually amazed that Joe and Anthony Russo, directors of, of episodes of Arrested Development and Community are now big budget <laughs> are now big budget superhero movie makers like they do a fantastic job with Winter Soldier but I'm still just amazed that like they're actually doing it I know it's amazing isn't it yeah yeah. but like I said they, they genuinely did do a good job of it so I'm really happy that they're the people who are taking over I suppose you could have had you know could have gone back to someone like Jon Favreau or you know well if you watch Jay Chef Black, pretty, even, but I mean, if you watch well, if you watch Chef, I'm pretty sure that John Favreau is not going back to Marvel anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, no, no. So, uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, are you are you pleased about that as well, Mike? Or are you? I am actually. Yeah, I think Winter Soldier was a decent film, and I think they're probably good candidates to carry on Marvel. I mean, it's on a climb, and it needs to keep fresh blood. Yeah. Well, yeah, and also, you know, I don't know how they're going to fit it into their schedule either, because they're supposed to be doing this Ghostbusters film with Channing Tatum. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, what, look, that's thought, not the one thought, with the all-female cast. So there's going to be another Ghostbusters film? An yeah. all-male one in a shared universe. Because, oh, no. I mean, because why not Why not undercut the, um, like, the fact that you've made an all-female film with a male equivalent before you've even actually made a female film? Why Why not, eh? Yeah. Like, like, brilliant message to send out there. In fact, here, here's a fantastic idea. 
why don't you take the Russos, Channing Tatum, Chris Pratt, who is apparently also attached to Stein there, um, and Drew Peters, who apparently will be writing the thing, and put them to work on an original project? Like, like I, I don't know about you. Call me crazy, but that might just be worth somebody's time. I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, am I, am I being unreasonable here? I don't think I'm being unreasonable. I'm probably being unreasonable, aren't I? <laughs> Not really, no. I mean, part of me will think, because I've you know enjoyed the Russo's other work, that I'll probably enjoy Ghostbusters or whatever it ends up being called but at the same time you're right why, can't, why have we got to have another Ghostbusters film anyway yeah it'll, it'll probably be like Ghostbusters t- Ghostbusters 2.5 because Dan Aykroyd still really wants to make that Ghostbusters 3 which you know apparently didn't happen yet because people forgot about Ghostbusters like apparently that's the one thing that was holding back Dan Aykroyd's Ghostbusters 3 not yeah. you know one of the cast members being dead and Bill Murray not being interested just people forgot about Ghostbusters Carol certainly didn't we seem to talk about it every episode. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so we have had other news this week as well, um, which, I don't know, I mean, how, do, how do we feel about the fact there's no Dread sequel? The on-again, off-again, Dread no! sequel is off-again. <laughs> yeah, well summed up, <laughs> I think. Uh, damn did it, we all damn like it. Dread? Did we all like Dread? I did, I thought Dread was excellent. It was, it Only... was, it was a great kind of throwback that just action real 18 rated action yeah only bad people dislike dread <laughs> <laughs> yeah so the fact that alex garland's now pretty much confirmed he's not doing it yeah i think that's pretty bad news i'm disappointed to hear that oh no oh no no, no, oh, no it is like both because this is one of the few instances where alex garland actually stuck the landing when it came to making an ending but yes. uh, like, but also again, I was so close to a Judge Death movie. It was again, 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 like again, the second one was going to be the Origins of America City One, and the third one was going to be the Judge Death and the and the Dark. Ju- uh, uh, I mean, it was probably never going to happen anyway, because let's not forget Dread Bomb Hard. <laughs> I know. But, but Carl uh, Urban's dead keen to do it, apparently. Carl Urban really... will probably just like if they do make another one, they'll just turn up on set one day as Dread and be like, "Where do you want me?" <laughs> Yeah, just on the set of whatever Alex Garland's next film is. Yeah. Okay, where do you want me? To turn up in Ex Machina, yeah. just in his suit. Yeah, like, like, he'll, he'll kidnap Olivia Philby, bring her along as well. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it, it still might happen, though, is the thing. It might happen, but nobody who's involved with the first one, yeah. except perhaps maybe Carl Urban, is going to be involved, which, which uh, is uh, uh, I, I, I'll go, I'll go, primarily because I go and see everything, but like, uh, that, that, that original plan, that was a solid plan, why did people have to be assholes and not see Dread? Yeah, basically, that's what it comes down to. They're yeah. all seeing Transformers. They're all seeing, well, yes, very <laughs> nice lead in there, Mike, thank you very much, <laughs> because the other bit of news that we've um, seen this week, Transformers 4 is officially the film that's made the most profit in 2014. So that's including the budget to actually make the film, including uh, marketing and all the other on costs. Um, it made 1.91 billion at the box office, apparently. However, the profit was 250 million, over 250 million. Probably because half is... that production budget was subsidised by product placement. Well, that was, yeah, exactly, yeah. But also, I mean, I'm really surprised that they not only still keep making so much money, but the fact that it's made more money than anything else last year, profit-wise, is just 
absurd. Well, last year, as box office analysts kept going on and on and on and on about sound like fucking broken records, um, is like was a bad year at the box office for most people. Like people stopped going to see movies out there. Uh, with most, yeah, except with, in China. Yeah, yeah. With most, with most money coming from overseas, but then of course you also have the issue yeah. of overseas taking hefty cuts of the profits there, so not all of it gets back to the studio. Um, which, for example, is why, despite making more money from the first How to Train Your Dragon, How to Train Your Dragon 2 is, in many respects, a financial failure as well. Yeah, I've got a bone to pick with you, Callum. Oh, go on. <laughs> I put down as my choice for uh, the Oscars for Best Animated Feature, How to Train Your Dragon 2. No, I didn't. I put down... Um, no, that's what I put down How to Train Your Dragon 2, because you said... It won an Annie. Everybody, everybody's after my arse over this, okay? I, <laughs> let me put it this way, okay? I forgot to take into account the, the I forgot to take into account the Disney stamp. Uh, like like the, so, the yeah. academy, the academy being so close-minded and not giving a shit about animation or anything other, unless it's got the Disney stamp. I mean, that's why Feast won Best Short. Although, although at the same time, although I do adore Feast, I'm 100% certain that only won because it was by Disney, and therefore not many people saw any of the others. I mean, did you read those like brutally honest Oscar ballots that went around? Um, I think it's Hollywood Report around that time of the Oscars. No, what was in them? Uh, well, first off, you just you just over the Academy as a whole bunch of horribly racist, out of touch white people. Um, <laughs> But also specifically, especially the further down you get, and especially in the animation section, you discover that people really don't give a shit about animation there. And most people only voted for, Di- for Big Hero 6 because it had, because, oh, it says Disney, it must be fine there. Hmm. Oh, 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 there was one Oscar voter who really didn't, who voted against Selma purely because she didn't like the fact that the filmmakers were trying to make a point about racism. She doesn't. She doesn't like. Do they name any of these people? No, no, name? no, no, no. The whole point is that it's anonymous, so that you get the ID. Like, so you got an idea of a semblance here. But she didn't like. But she didn't vote for Selma because she didn't like the filmmakers making a point about race relations, about Ferguson. She didn't like. She thought they came off as angry. Oh, who'd you know it's a she if it's anonymous, by the way? Uh, no, like, because they say, like, uh, like this voter, then gender, and what field they vote oh, in. Like, right, they, don't give, they don't give names or anything else that, that out there. But, um, gotcha. That's how it is. They're uh, hilarious and also highly depressing. Okay. Well, that, I mean, that's it for the news, I think, really. Um, unless anyone else has spotted anything interesting to talk about. The only thing I've noticed is, compare the market, have picked up the two for... One Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Yeah. But the, the only thing is with that it appears you have to have purchased some form of something through Compare the Market or from Compare the Market, which the cheapest one of which is going to be twenty odd pounds for some like basic holiday insurance or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it, but you know, if you had to be a, I suppose a, a customer of Orange or EE to get the Orange Wednesday. Or know someone who wants to forward you a text message to, to get Orange Wednesday, but they, <laughs> but they are expending they are extending it to two days, Tuesday and Wednesday. Mm. Yeah, which just basically means I'm going to go to the cinemas on Mondays, Thursdays, or yeah. Fridays from yeah. now on. I mean, I suppose I suppose Orange Wednesday did kind of uh, not revolutionise, but they did it did have such an effect that a lot of films were released on a Wednesday, where they mm. used to be released for the weekend previously. I mean, it, it had that much of a, that much of an impact. Yeah. yeah, a couple of them did get early releases, didn't they? Some of the bigger films that they were expecting to make a lot of money. So yeah. also, maybe they'll bring them back to Tuesdays. Or also, push them back uh, to Tuesdays, whichever yeah. way you look at it. 
But also, I mean, as another knock against the save, this means that everybody who wants to take advantage of the scheme has to essentially go up and ask and talk and say the words meerkat movies to a cashier. I think, <laughs> so, yeah, I think, yeah, I think yeah. they lose in this department here. Yes, yeah. Everyone should just get Cineworld Unlimited cards. Well, if, if Cineworld would be... It's the future. Build, if Cineworld would build more cinemas and put one close to me, I would happily do that. How much money do you reckon you've saved, Mike, from... Me. From uh, Cineworld Unlimited cards. Oh. On, let's just say on Guardians of the Galaxy alone. <laughs> um, on Guardian, well, no, because I kept taking the kids, so it was costing me. It was probably evening <laughs> out. Oh, um, no. It was about seventeen hundred quid last year. That's how much you say. Yeah. Did, did the kids not get sick of Guardians of the Galaxy after like the 15th time? Like, Dad, yeah, can we please went, see yeah. something else? No, we are seeing Guardians again, and you will <laughs> like it. No, they. In fact, they dragged me. <laughs> wow, and that was like right, okay. But no, can, can you times. can you can you recite any scene off by heart now? Like, do you know the I whole? Could, but I've watched a lot more films since then, and I've sort of forgotten them. And I've only watched <laughs> it twice on Blu-ray since it came out. So, but only twice. Only yeah. twice. Yeah. He, uh, say, he, say, he says that, but it, but when he goes to sleep at night, all of his dreams are just like the scenes from the film played over and over again. Yeah. This is it. Yes, I'm dancing that opening scene every night. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, 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 like at some point in time, we'll just find you one day, just like rocking back and forth, saying, Come and get your love. <laughs> just kicking his dog out of the bed. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that is all for part one of the podcast. In part two will be uh, taking uh, a different route to what we usually do and the new releases will be up next our first new release review for uh, this week is uh, Princess Kagoya and I believe Mike is going to uh, review this one for us I am um, being a fan of Studio Ghibli, I was really pleased that I got to see this on the big screen. Um, it was limited release in Cineworld, and so I went to the corner house in Manchester to see it, which unfortunately is closing down in the next few months. So we will lose that. That's a shame. It is a shame. So, as for the film, I wasn't struck by it as much as I've liked all the other films, I have to say, the animation at times is amazing, but then at times just really pulled me out of the film. It, it's visually beautiful to look at sometimes. I mean, it's the paintings and the, the artwork is, is stunning. But then it, it reverts to quit to draw on, mm-hmm. and it just, it just drew me out of the film. As for the story... The story is a take on a old folklore, Chinese folklore story, and it's about the morals of growing up and the, the cultures of Japan and the burdens that we place on children. And it, it's an interesting story, but it's not a riveting story. It, I kept, again, I kept losing concentration with it. I don't know if that was the artwork or the fact that the story just didn't have enough pull. Like it's quite a long film, isn't it? It it is quite 
It's two well, hours. Does it feel like it's just long? No, it's it's two hours seventy minutes. It is long. It's a long animated film. Young kids, are even ten year olds, I don't think would get much out of this. I think it's well, really... a style like a harder film. I'm pretty sure kids are not the intended audience. Well, like, this like... is it. But I mean, there were kids in the screening, and I, they were fidgety. So. Did you watch it dubbed then? I'm it taking, was dubbed, yes. Uh, and the voice yeah. cast is excellent. Um, you've got Chloe Grace Mortez, James Kahn, Mary Steinbergen, uh, Lucy Liu, James Marsden, and Beau Bridges, and even Oliver Platt. And the voice cast is, is great, and it always is for, for the Studio Ghibli films. But I just couldn't connect with it at all. Not like something like Spirited Away or Howl's Moving Castle. It, I just wasn't with it, which is a shame because it could be the last Studio Ghibli film. No, there's still one more after this. Is um, I believe it's called What, Mar- uh, what Marnie Said or When Marnie right. Was. Like, there's, there's one more to come. Right. Um, but yeah, like, I, I, I'm still going to be very hyped for this book because um, I, in for viewers, I like you know, um Last year, I saw The Wind Rises in the cinema and, yes. was, under, and was underwhelmed on first showing. And then I got it on Blu-ray. We watched it and proceeded to immediately eat my words. Like, Ghibli <laughs> films for me take many viewings to fully um, appreciate. I think that's I find. what I, I think this is, I was, I was going to say about this film, is that I will probably sit down and watch it again on Blu-ray and I think it will probably grow on me. Yeah. I think it's, it's definitely one of those. I think the story is quite difficult to follow sometimes. Um, and I... I really, I'd like to listen to probably the Japanese cut, mm, mm, and mm. I think you get a bit more in context of the emotions that are in the voices. Whereas with the an, a normal English dub, you, you tend to lose that. Yeah, it's one of those things people always say about uh, the Ghibli films when they see them. Some people, I mean, I personally, I've seen a few of them dubbed and. Haven't had a problem. Whisper of the Heart is one of my favourite films of the 90s, never mind one might like being my favourite Studio Ghibli film. But I've only seen it dubbed, and I think the, the dubbing on that is fantastic. Whereas, I know for some people, it is they really can't get into them unless it's in the original Japanese. Spirited the Away, the Japanese version is better than the dubbed version. Yeah. But, again, I, I can watch it both ways, but, yeah, the Japanese version is a lot better. Yeah, I think the same could be said perhaps for um, my neighbour Totoro as well. Yes, there's just something. There's nothing wrong with the dubbing on that. The English. It dubbing. just lacks that emotion. There's just something more with the Japanese yeah. version. I think. Yeah. Mm. So maybe maybe then that explains one of the reasons why you might not have connected with this. Possibly, yeah. yes. But it definitely worth seeing, Callum. It is, I mean, on a big screen, it is. is I'll, I'll, look, I'll look forward to being able to see it on December 31st, which is, when, <laughs> which is when the Blu-ray is coming out. I'm not kidding. I literally just got this up as you were talking here, because I'm like, okay, it's not coming out around here. I'll just have a look and see when it's coming out, and immediately just looked at the screen and let out a, fuck you. <laughs> 31st yeah. December, Jesus. Moving on to the next film that we're going to review. Uh, he lives in a pineapple under the sea. He's SpongeBob SquarePants. He's got a new movie out, and Callum has seen it. Yes. And I'm going to immediately move on to another tangent here. <laughs> um, I'm going to, as I used to mention here as well, 
Animation Studios, stop recasting minor roles with dubbed, air quotes, celebrities, okay? Like, seriously, this is getting annoying. Um, like, I first noticed it in, like, 2006 with Cars, um, where Pixar redubbed the voice of Lightning McQueen's manager, which was played by Jeremy Piven initially, because, you know, Entourage. <laughs> Have I mentioned it? I don't really like Cars much. Um, but then in the UK, it was recast to Jeremy Clarkson, because reasons, I guess. Um, he he likes cars. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, no, but for that specific role. Like, like yeah. anyways, um, Big Hero 6 cast two YouTubers as scientists during the Kratek, um experiment sequence, in case you want to know why there were two random distracting British accents in the middle of this dramatic scene. And also, before you ask, no, I don't know who Dan and Phil are either. Um, and now SpongeBob Sponge Out of Water has recast the entire um, Seagull collection, like group of Seagull recurring characters, with British, air quotes, celebrities, including two YouTubers who I've never heard of, Alan Carr and Stacey Solomon. And I know this for a fact because A, you cannot mistake Alan Carr's voice anywhere. And B, <laughs> and B, yeah. and B, the credits didn't bother to actually replace the names of the original voice actors, which is how I knew that I missed out on hearing Rob Paulson, April Stewart, Billy West, right there. But instead got to hear Alan Carr flub his lines and sound like he was recorded through the other end of a really bad phone call. And they, um, and they did like, pick the two like British celebrities with the most annoying voices. Yeah, yeah, it's like, please, stop doing it, okay? It, it, it adds nothing. All it does is be really distracting, slightly pandering, and essentially throws a middle finger up to those, voice, to those professional voice actors who, get, who make money off of being you know, the minor voices in films here. Because, you know, I'm sure Billy West, noted, noted um, Grumpy Pants Billy West, will just be thrilled to know that apparently Paramount believes that Alan Carr is just as good as he is at doing voice work. Or that, you know, <laughs> April summer will be just delighted to know that Stacey Solomon is apparently just as good a voice actress as that as that. Anyways, sorry, SpongeBob movie. <laughs> um, the thing, Callum, who's going to know? Yeah, the kids that turn up, they're not going to know the difference. I, 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 sorry, I, I know that the kids aren't going to care, but damn it, I am all about those I'm not voice saying actors that. That's and my hard work. Saying why do it when yeah. the kids aren't going to care? Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's no kids. point in doing it. I'm backing. I'm, I agree with you. Yeah. I don't think you should do yeah. it. Kids aren't kids aren't going to give a shit who Alan Carr is. Precisely, and they're not going to give. And yeah. So yeah. And they'd know. only care. They'd only care Stacey Solomon with if it's 2008. Exactly. <laughs> 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 oh god! If, if it turns out like in the next Disney film, but they put Justin Lee Collins in a random background role, I'm going to go start setting America on fire. I really am. Anyways, he, what happened to Justin Lee Collins? Did he? I was just meant to say, he battered his wife. Or something, yeah, he, bat, he? he battered his wife, and now no one likes him. He moved to Channel Five, so that immediately has him fall off everybody's radar. Yeah. Um, right. Sorry, SpongeBob. Let's get back to SpongeBob. Um, right. Yeah. Okay, so there is a reason why I've um, spent why I spent a while doing that and in the review itself. It's because SpongeBob itself is a really funny comedy. And therefore, it's really hard to review because trying to review a really good comedy is really hard. I mean, if you review a bad comedy, it's easy because, you know, you don't want people to go see the film. So therefore, you can pick apart exactly why it doesn't work, what jokes don't work and such. With a good comedy, it's hard because in a good comedy where there's not really anything going on but the jokes you, and the jokes are really funny, but you don't want to spill all the jokes for people. It's hard to say why the film works. Like you don't have much material than just kind of going, yeah, it's funny. You should see it. You should see it. You should see SpongeBob. In any case, um, so for, what I can say is that the film has been very much mismarketed. Like, um, you've all seen trailers and posters for the film, haven't you? Like, from yeah. The, yeah. yeah. Um, at, 
what it makes it look like is a film is about um, SpongeBob, Squidward, Sandy, Patrick, and Mr. Krabs um, coming out from Bikini Bottom up into the real world to rescue the Krabby Patty formula from an evil pirate with a magical reality-defining book played by an only occasionally miserable-looking Antonio Banderas. Um, and that, you know, eventually then they turn to superheroes to battle him. That is in the film. It's also the very last 20 minutes of the film. And the superhero stuff is 10 minutes of that, tops. Like, the rest of the film, instead, is there is Under the Sea in Bikini Bottom traditional animation. Um, I sort of get why they did that uh, in marketing, because traditional animation does not sell well, unfortunately, despite its best efforts. Um, but... At the same time, this also means that when it hits that point, that last third of the film, it's literally just 20 straight minutes of, here's all the jokes from the trailers. Mm. All the jokes from the trailers. Like, just one after another. There are one or two where I haven't been shown the trailers, and they're very funny, but at the same time, that means that the final third of the film kind of just is, is a letdown after the previous 60. But other than that, no, um, this is a very, very, very funny film. Um, I laughed, like, I laughed a ton. That's it. Um, there's a ton of, like, you know, I had tons of big, giant laughs, which certainly made the kids in my screening a lot less self-conscious about how loud they were allowed to laugh. Um, lots of small giggles between that, some good chuckles. Like, laughs across the whole board, very few dry spells. Um, the humor itself is of a higher quality than SpongeBob's usually been, because after the first movie, and after the first post-movie season, because, little known fact most people don't know, um, SpongeBob was actually cancelled after its third season and the movie was made as a, like, and the movie was created after reruns did so well. And then, therefore, the show was brought back and became a show itself again. Um, the show after the film has been all over the place, mostly terrible, sometimes great, recently settling into, yeah, this is all right to watch. Um, but no, the film itself is on top form. Um, characters are much less grating this time, like SpongeBob himself is less, uh, like, is more tolerable. Like, he's, the, the man-child aspect has been reined in to such an extent that he's tolerable and enjoyable and fun to be around. And all the characters are much less jerks than they were before. Um, and then jo- there are jokes of all kinds. You've got, ridic- you've got ridiculous jokes, you've got um, gross-out jokes, character jokes, wordplay jokes, um, fast-paced humour, physical comedy. Jokes of all kinds that just come thick, fast, or 100%. Um, most of the humour coming from the fact that Plankton has to team up with Spongebob in order to figure out what's happened for Krabby Patty formula, and Spongebob trying to teach Plankton the value of teamwork, which, in one of those best gags, Pl- Plankton, who is so alien to the concept of teamwork, can't pronounce properly. That, like, he says, like, um, T-am work. Teamwork. Teamwork. Time bomb work. Ideal. Um, and then the I realize I'm doing a terrible job here. Again, it's hard to review good comedies because <laughs> uh, you, you have to sit down and explain why the jokes work. But like, the jokes do work because, again, the, fact, the pace is just there and speeding through. Um, there's also a hilarious recurring gag with a ridiculous character who's voiced by Matt Berry. Um, and it is actually Matt Berry. It's not V-Dub. Like, it is Matt Berry. Um, who's bot- who is stop motion in a traditional animated world with a CGI cape and whose entire existence is utterly ridiculous and brilliant, and he's hilarious. Um, it's not as good as the first film, I must say, because the first film had a legitimate sweetness to it. Like, it wasn't just being a comedy, um, whereas this one is. Like, it's fine that this one's just a joke machine, but at the same time, it lacks that heart that the first film did. Like, because although the first film was funny, it was very, very, very funny, with gratuitous David Hasselhoff cameos and everything, um, it also had a heart, it had a sincerity to it. Like it had a, you know, a whole kind of joyous 
cynicism free look on you know outlook on life and growing up and such and being a kid um out of water doesn't have any kind like doesn't have any sort that kind of heart in there it doesn't have any kind of dramatic depth and any time it threatens to move towards pathos it immediately undercuts it with a joke at the expense of that pathos um which is fine because a lot of the jokes about the fact that the splinter world always versus the status quo does make some films best gags but um, it also means that I'm pretty sure the more times I see it, I'm not, it's not going to have the same replay value that the first film does. Because, you know, after all, jokes after a certain point just kind of stop being that funny. Um, also, incidentally, on the animation front, um, it looks like an episode of the show. But with the budget to be able to trash the set a lot more often. And that's fine. Like, that's fine. Like, the SpongeBob itself has a very built-in outlook by this point. Like, a very built-in distinct look. And messing with that too much or blowing up the scale of it too much would likely detract from that. Um, instead, the best-looking moments come when the film gets weird. And in typical SpongeBob fashion, the film gets weird. Like, it does a ton of art shifts. There's that aforementioned character. Um, there's a trip inside SpongeBob's mind, which is rendered in this sickening walking, night, um, wa- walking nightmare, day-glow, saccharine, uh, like, vomiting cuteness, um, including a Shining reference, of all things, which I was very nice, to ha- which I was very pleased to see. Um, there's a recurring... There's a recurring kind of image shot um, from a plot voice I don't plan on spoiling there, which is hilariously just creepy and all over the place. And also, it's received some criticism from people. I don't know why, but I really, really like the CGI when they hit, like when they hit the real world. Um, not so much the seagulls. The seagulls never look right, but the actual cast themselves look like um, squeezable, huggable toy versions of the cast. Like. Like, like you, you've seen images of them, like, you know, like how SpongeBob looks really fuzzy, like, like kind of like a little plushie that you give to a kid, that kind of thing. Um, it works, like it works fantastically. The film looks great, um, especially as well with animation, which comes close enough to the style of the hand-drawn show to not look, you know, out of place or weird. Um, yeah, that's that's SpongeBob basically. I laughed a lot. I found it a lot of fun. It's probably not going to hold up as well on repeated viewings, but hey, I I. Again, I can overcome any problems in that film if I laughed a lot with a comedy, and I laughed a lot. You should all go see it there, if you can. I mean, obviously, if you don't like SpongeBob, don't see it, because this is for fans only. But, hey, if you like it, watch it. Uh, it's it's great SpongeBob. Okay. Um, next up in our series of new releases is Gunman. Or is it The Gunman? The Gunman. The, gun, the Gunman. It. The gunman. Yeah, the gunman. The man of... The, the gunman just seems really bad. Ma- I don't know the why. Man, the, the gunman. Gun man. Yeah. The man of guns. <laughs> it, sounds, yeah. it sounds like a bad 80s TV show, that title there. Like I'm expecting like yeah. Star Wipes and, and stuff and cheesy synthesizer <laughs> music. Mm. Uh, Actually, yeah. that's better than the film we, that we saw, but you're leading this view. Go on. Yeah. Okay. I'll go straight into it then. So it's directed by Pierre Morel, who... Uh, did Taken and stars Sean Penn as Jason Statham I mean sorry hmm. stars Sean Penn as Denzel Washington <laughs> no I'll try it one more time stars Sean Penn as Liam Neeson a bodyguard come gun for hire in a group of about five different blokes all with their specific set of skills um, so this one's got five guys with specific sets of skills basically than, yeah. not really there's about but... five of them who are a group and they're um, yeah. Uh, yeah I'll come on to each one in in a little while but just suffice to say that they start off, it, the film starts with one of these, you know, eight years ago moments, and then they kill a high-profile Bella in the Democratic Republic of Congo, 
Um, but it's only Sean Penn who killed the trigger. They're a group of, um, I think they're like bodyguards, but also like guns for hire. I think they're mercenaries mainly, as far as I've heard. Yeah, but, yeah, pretty much just mercenaries. But you know, it's um, it's only um, Sean Neeson who pulls the trigger. So Sean Neeson, he <laughs> then, as part of his contract, it stipulates he has to flee the country immediately after killing the bloke, which he does. But unfortunately, means he has to leave behind his girlfriend. Uh, who his friend and colleague, the lecherous Javier Bardem, is pining over. Yeah. Then civil war erupts in the Democratic Republic of Congo, or it just actually gets worse, it heightens, uh, which causes a bit of a fracas. And then in the present day, we see Sean Penn, uh, who has returned to uh, the DRC as an aid worker of some sort. And then whilst he's he- uh, there's some heavies with the machetes, which is a phrase I'm coining. I like that. Machetes with... Heavies uh, with machetes. Yeah, there we go. Uh, and they set about trying to kill him. Obviously, they don't, because the film would have ended within about 15 minutes. Instead, he kills them. Thank and then God. he wants to know... Yeah. Instead, he wants to know who hired these guys to kill him. And he begins uh, sort of glow-popping, uh, tracking down these former allies of his to find out who's responsible, whether they're involved or not. And why someone was trying to kill him. I would have thought it would be quite obvious, but, you know, it's puzzling to Sean Penn. So, um, otherwise playing the single greatest human being who ever lived, who's just like a master at everything. <laughs> he pretty much tries to be, yeah. So, but it's odd as well, the film, because it tries to be like a deadly serious film about raising awareness of the political issues in the DRC, hmm. as well as, like, the effects of uh, this head trauma or PTSD or whatever it is that, that Sean Penn's character suffers from and all that. But it's basically it's nothing more than a run-of-the-mill action, uh, action thriller. That goes and on forever. It goes on for ages. And also, just going back to the point about Sean Penn being the greatest man in the world, he, that's essentially the character he's playing yeah. in this. He thinks he's the, 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 the saviour of DRC and all this bollocks. But also, he, ha- he has his shirt off a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's. So you got to see those rippling Sean Penn pecs, which, which exactly. uh, the audience I mean, was we just crying it. out for. We, oh, yeah, we get it. You're mid 50s, Sean Penn. We understand you're still in fine shape. Fantastic, wonderful for you. But, you know, just pull it away. Just pull it away. No mm. one wants to see your bulging Scott Steiner esque arms anymore. So, <laughs> you know. That's how the whole film comes across as well. The whole film feels very smug, mm. very self-satisfying. It, it, it's um, a, it is a vanity project, basically. Yeah. Like, like Penn himself stars in it, he produced it, co-wrote it. I'm, I'm amazed yeah. if you can just go with a whole hogger director at this point, to be quite frank. Exactly, yeah. But the film itself is pretty... It's middling to it's, meh. It, I, I found it unbelievably fucking dull. Like It just goes on for so long. It's got yeah. no interesting original thoughts in its body it has no exciting action sequences and there's this horrible vain streak of misogyny like vague streak of misogyny just running through the entire thing like of you know how all women are like are like disposable or prizes to be won or that one instance where he just randomly punch where he randomly punches a woman in the head to death <laughs> yeah which you know, uh, like, i kind of laughed at that but i'm not sure you're supposed to but i just yeah. find that hilarious but the yeah, um, oh, but, she, but she's evil, so it's okay. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's, not not all men, but nowhere. Not all men. Yeah, and it's also hilarious as long as you forget that time. But you know, Sean Penn assaulted Madonna. Oh yeah, no, I did forget about that. Yeah, well, I'm glad to remind anyway. you. Yeah, so characters as well in the film do kind of fall in and out of it uh, willy nilly. 
you know, returning when it's appropriate for them to be tortured, which I yeah. think is a, a taken trademark now in these kind of films, or, you know, to save the day or whatever it is. It just uh, it's just Elvis in, re- in this film for literally two scenes in his second build. Yeah, well, I think he gets four scenes in total, and in one of those scenes, you only see his hand and hear his voice. Yeah. That's about, that's about it. But he's, he is the second name on the credits, you know. He's the, after Sean Penn, his name is there underneath him. Yeah. Uh, on the poster and on all the advertising and stuff, so it's a bit odd. Maybe, but, you know. maybe they were hoping some of that Luther cred could spread over here, but as I'm pretty sure we saw about the $5 million opening weekend, that didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, but also, you know, not only is Idris Elba in it, it's also got British... It's got quite an international cast. I mentioned Javier Bardem, but it's also got Ray Winston, who is playing Ray Winston, to be fair. Uh, <laughs> well, he's, well, he's not I quite like Ray Winston. I quite like Ray Winston, so I'm not too bothered about that. I thought he was all right. Um, and also, like I say, Javier Bardem, he basically acts the chops off of Sean Penn as well. Yeah, he, like, he, just, he just waltzes into the film drunk and spends the entire film drunk. Well, he's meant to be, yeah. he's playing drunk. I like to think he is actually drunk, quite frankly, here. I mean, he just, <laughs> like, he just looks at the script, was like, fuck it, I need a paycheck, but then, for then once the gravity of the script weighed in, he's like, okay, the only way I make it through this is if I turn up smashed on set every day. Okay. It's sort of a toned-down version of his character from The Counselor. That's the way he plays <laughs> it. Um, but, you know, again, he gets his ludicrously camp moment to shine when he's pissed, mm. which is a like a gloriously straight to video quality acting but it's fantastic it suits the film mm. more than Sean Penn does um, and also you've got uh, as we've mentioned Jasmine Trinker's characters not much more than a plot device mm. uh, like just something that's tossed actress, around essentially yeah as an actress I think she does fairly well I guess mm. you know there's nothing particularly offensive about it's just a the film, way she it's just the film literally and, gives her nothing to do it's just the writing exactly yeah um so, yeah, and Mark Rylance, I guess, is the, the, the next name I, I should mention, also a British actor. I can't decide whether I liked him or not. His, vo- uh, his you know, voice despite... distracted me the entire time yeah. I was there. Exactly. So despite being aware of his reputation as an actor, you know, he's, very, uh, he's held in very high regard. And the only other things I've seen him in are Blitz, which is the low-budget British Jason renegade film with the state, oh, and of which I've no memory of him in it. And also Wolf Hall, which is about a million miles away from the Goodman. Or the Goodman. Um, and he's very, it's just, you're right, he's got a very odd way of delivering his lines mm. that it doesn't feel natural. It doesn't feel like anything but an actor reading lines from a script, which isn't great. Yeah, like while well, uh, just like looking off camera to see his accountant busily trying to clear the check so he can get out <laughs> of here. Um, yeah, so I wasn't really sure about Mark Rylance, but... Um, it could have just been the character, I guess, or the writing. But anyway, everything about the plot is just far too convenient. Sean's Penn character, Sean Penn's character, has little more to do than link together scenes of the supporting actors as well. Mm. Um, also, just it, it came, it sort of occurred to me. I wish that Morrell had directed the Taken sequels instead of that thundercunt Olivia Megan. <laughs> <laughs> Um, because Morel, he can shoot action sequences well enough, mm. particularly for a film like this, you know. There's one or two close-up hand-to-hand combat scenes which are a bit yeah. iffy. But, but, uh, well, well, they were also the kind of action, hand-to-hand action scenes where I always remembered, oh, yeah, Taken take 2 and 3 were just awful at these. They were really bad with their <laughs> yeah. stupid, horrendous jump cuts. But um, anyway, but, you know, it's competently shot as well. So, yeah, it, you know, the, actually, the, some of the, the talky 
scenes, which I'm going to label them as the talky scenes in between people fighting and arguing, they're oddly edited together as well, I found, mm. particularly particularly towards the start of the film, where it just seems to jump from one scene straight to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, with no rhyme or reason. Mm. Um, but the final showdown in the film is... I thought that was quality. I quite enjoyed that. Mm. And it also has a really cool death scene yeah like it, it, it literally that was like the one time a film actually got a reaction out of me as well and that was laughter quite frankly exactly uh, yeah it was, it was quite a cool death scene there. Yeah. but you know I usually like to spend a bit of time thinking about a movie before I review it by the way um, but I honestly I don't think aside from when I was putting notes together for this I don't think it crossed my mind at all since Saturday evening yeah uh, and, it lasts like a hundred, and it lasts uh, an hour and 53 minutes yeah, an hour and fifty three minutes. Good luck. Like I went in first thing Saturday morning watching that and thought I'd never come out. Like it just <laughs> kept going on and on with no end in sight, especially when it seems yeah. to climax and then goes on for another thirty minutes anyway. Yeah, so it should have been shorter, but you know, overall, I thought it was all right. It wasn't. I didn't enjoy it. I didn't hate it. It was just all right. I found it. I currently find it the second worst action film this year. What's worse? Taken three. Oh, taken three. Tack yeah. three. Come on. Okay, yeah. so that was the gunman, gunman, um, the man with the gun. Gunman. It is now time to review voices. Yes, the voices. Now, this is an interesting film. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds this, like it. You don't it say. Is. Uh, I saw this at Glasgow Film Festival. It was their secret film on the Wednesday night of the final week. And I was pretty pleased to be actually watching it because you're never sure if Cineworld is going to pick something up like this. However, they have done. So if you have got Cineworld that is showing it, do go and see it. However, be aware that it's not your usual comedy. And it's not really your usual horror film either. It's sort of called... <laughs> it's caught in between, and it also throws in quite a bit of drama and a romance as well. So it's it's an interesting mix. But that said, Ryan Reynolds is outstanding in it. Oh, he is. He is a fucking revelation here. He is unbelievably good. Mm. Um, his character, Jerry, who works at a bathtub where, um, company... He's in a rundown, dead end, yeah. like shitty corner of America, which even has yeah. a, an, expo- an expository theme tune at the beginning, extolling its <laughs> virtues, no less. So, yeah, so his character is rather likable because he's socially unaware, he's, he's awkward, he's over trying to be friendly, he wants to fit in, he has major issues, but we see it from his side for the first hmm. 30 minutes and we we just think it's he's controlling his issues and he's got it under control though as it goes on you sort of find out that he's not really doing what he should be doing he's not taking his pills and when you start to see the world from other people's perspectives his world is a complete and utter mess hmm. and, and I that tonal shift from his world to the real world, I thought was brilliant. Yeah, yeah like the, like the scene, real, the scene well, where he, yeah, like like the scene, especially the scene where he where he eventually does take his pills. There, 
Like, yes. it's, legit- it's legitimately just horrifying to watch. It is. Like, it is. Because Mar- uh, Antitrapi, who was the director here and also made 2007's classic, like, I'm already pointing up here, a classic Persepolis, um, as well, like, it's just does amazing things with production design in this movie, uh, with set design, with lighting and underlighting, like, seeing things from, like, when you see things from Jerry's perspective, it's of this overlit day glow, kind of, yes. almost sick, Almost kind of sitcomish kind of nature, like kind of like kind of brightness. Well, that's like and his character at times as well. Yeah, yeah, like like it, it switches around based on how his character's feeling. Like if he's further down, then the, the lights get dimmer, but like yeah. like it gets darker. The, shade, the shades of the real world seem to creep in, and then if you do start seeing things from other characters' perspective, then you see just the kind of disrepair hellhole that um like that his world end, is, in, is yes. in. Yeah. Like it, she does amazing, amazing things with production design here in this film, incidentally. What also got me was that Reynolds does all the voices for the voices in his head, which I didn't. Yeah. I thought was somebody else. At first, I thought the cat was um, the Scottish actor. Yeah. Um, what's I can't yeah. remember his name at the moment. I, Mr. Whiskers. Yeah, not, not Mr. Whiskers. Um, Peter Mullen. I thought it was Peter Mullen oh. doing the voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was that convinced yeah. it was him, but it's not. It's Reynolds, and he yeah. does a brilliant. And the, and some of the script writing when those three are in play with his dog, mm. Bosco, Mr. Yeah. Whiskers, and him is just fantastic. Yeah. And it, at times it's 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 funny, but mm. it's always got that really dark tone. It's sort of making you do really want to laugh at this because. Yeah. And. But- yeah, like, like I think the thing that really works here is that it's always respectful of Jerry himself. It like, is. It doesn't like it doesn't really play his mental illness for laughs. It's played as the kind like his schizophrenia is not played for laughs so much. Yeah. Like sometimes what, he, what sometimes the conversations the arguments he has are funny, but the film doesn't go for giant big la- like no. huge laughs mainly. So that way it's able to still be respectful of him. But um, again, seeing it with a. F- with a fright, I mean, there was a lot of fright fest people in the audience for that night. They'd all come up early before fright fest, mm. and it played to those a lot better than I think it would to the general public. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because this is basically um, one of those serial killer movies, but told from the perspective of the serial killer. Yes, like, definitely. Which, which it's which my mentioning it itself kind of feels like a spoiler because of the way the film works, and also because it clicked for me at the thirty minute mark. No, this is what we're doing. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could but, get, you could get it from the credits where it was going to go, but how I it mean, gets there, how it gets there, you're not sure. Yeah. Yes, and, and then what it does. Oh, what it does after that? Yeah, it's yeah, very, like especially as well the way that um, like um, script by Michael R. Perry, who incidentally co-wrote Paranormal Activity too. <clears throat> um, yes, like also goes about his game since then, yeah. hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, but like he also. Like how he goes around developing the rest of the, like the other main cast members as well, like not just Jerry. Oh. Like in the way uh, he developed, especially as well, Lee, um, one of Jerry's co-workers, Lisa, played by a unreally adorable Anna Kendrick. She's uh, as well. like the way. Oh God, she she like she's amazing anyway. I love her to yeah. death, but, but yeah, I she didn't just think Gemma that adorableness. Was good. I thought Gemma Arterton was probably the weakest character and the weakest actress in the whole thing. Yeah, probably because, again, she, like, by nature of the film, she doesn't get that much to do. 
Um, but it, I feel, but again, I still feel like it still works. Um, but especially like the way that the film develops Jill, especially as well, means that there is this su- legitimately and surprisingly emotional payoff um, just over the two-thirds mark of the film as well. There as well, with this fantastic scene that's able to gain tension from multiple angles, like instead of just being a, like a one-dimensional kind of thing there as well. I, I, love, I, I love this film. Like it most certainly will not be for everybody because for the way it careens... Well, less careens between um, genres and that, and more just kind of flip and just kind of like crashes into other genres without warning, is definitely not going to be for everybody. No, um, I agree. You know, like the script, the script itself barely hangs together. Satrapi is Satrapi. I feel like is a person who brings it all into just about something resembling coherent, along with his performance. Um, but, but, but if you can get on its wavelength, then I'm pretty sure you will dig the hell out of it. I. This might be my favorite film of the year so far. Like, I love this film to death. It's fa- it's fantastic. Of course, my qualification for this is that I don't include any award season film that was you know dumped off into January and February. But at the same time, that means like it's it, like I think I think this is better than Sean the Sheep. I think this is better than Jupiter Ascending. I think this is well, that's not hard. And, uh, uh, <laughs> probably, yeah, um, probably five I mean, at some point here. Like, like, I, I, adore, I adore this. I think it's fantastic. Okay, uh, on to the final new release we're going to review now. Uh, one that I don't think that uh, Callum found so fantastic. That is uh, the Divergent series, Insurgents. Um, or Divergent Insurgent. Or just Insurgent, as it's referred to in film. <laughs> yeah. But like even the people making the film realise this is stupid. Um, right, so, going to try something a little different for this, okay? Right. Yeah. So, Di- right, so Insurgent is a sequel to Divergent from last year, uh, based on a young adult series of novels, which can basically be, a, uh, which from what these films have gathered to me, are basically IKEA Hunger Games. Um, actually, no, hang on, that's a, that's an insult to IKEA. Poundland <laughs> Hunger Games. There we go. The Poundland version of the Hunger Games. Um, and what it is is a slight improvement over a really bad and really boring first film. Like, this one's at least got some semblance of pacing, like, of actual pacing and building towards something. Um, its action scenes are slightly better staged this time, and um, with the exceptions of Kate Winslet, who was already checked out in the first film anyway, and Shailene Woodley, whose patience for this series dissipates visibly but, uh, uh, with every scene that goes on, until the point where she's clearly just wanting to be rescued. No, no, like, like in the first film, she was... Like, in the first film, she was at least trying to make it work. And in this one, it's clear that she's realized, no, hang on, I've made a huge mistake. And it's just visibly doing all but a stare at the screen going, please, get me out of this. Get me out of this. I don't want to come back for these next two films. Get me out of this, please. Um, like, the rest of the cast are trying to make it work. Especially Miles Teller, who just refuses to turn off his natural charm even when he's supposed to be being a dick. So he gets to indulge in a Draco Malfoy. It's the only time any character makes any interesting. Sorry. Anyways, um, rather, so well, then Jake just Courtney, a mod- he's your favourite, isn't he, Callum? <laughs> he's he's good. He's good as a dick. Like for divergence, <laughs> for divergence, series is the best. I've liked him, and he's a dick in them. Unfortunately, in this one, he's literally shuffled off stage just as soon as he's brought it in. So yeah. Well, uh, but in case, um, the film itself, which incidentally was the reason I liked him so much in Unbroken, because it was in it literally thirty seconds. <laughs> anyways, um. Like, so because this is a barely incrementally better sequel to an already bad film that everybody knows is bad and nobody is going to remember it in two months, let alone five years out there. 
Um, I feel like we're going to do something different here. If you want my actual review, go to the website, faircritics.com, and read my review there. Instead, I am currently doing a podcast here with people who have not seen Divergent or Insurgent or don't remember the first Divergent, in the case of Steve. Um, I don't remember it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you didn't see it, did you? I did. I saw Divergent. Oh. Well, even better then. Right. So, in this instance here, what I'm going to do right now, okay, is I am going to explain the plot of Divergent, of the world of Divergent, the plot of the first film, and the setup for the second one, okay, to you people. At any point, you can stop me and ask a question about about what I've just said, about the world, the characters, and such, okay? Okay. okay. This itself is going to act as a very good review of, di- of, di- of Insurgent because Insurgent wants you to take the world of Divergent seriously. <laughs> uh, right. Okay. So, are you all ready? Yes. Are you sitting comfortably? Yes. <laughs> Enough. Right. Okay. So. Divergent is set in a dystopian future, dystopian future Chicago, and Chicago is supposedly the last city on Earth where the remnants of humanity reside. Uh, the rest of the world was... Why, sh- why, is sh- why is Chicago? Good question. Chicago? Good question. I can't answer that. Let's move on. But- it, was a good, it was a good musical. <laughs> <laughs> There's no such thing. What happened to the world? Why are we dystopian? Right, okay, um, we have all killed each other in a war. Why? They haven't explained yet, I guess. Why? I don't know. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's currently, I believe, it's just mankind is naturally destined to murder each other, I guess. I don't know. Um, but in any case, they're in a walled off Chicago, and they don't want to go outside, and they're in a walled off Chicago. Like, all human, rest of humanity lives off in this walled off Chicago. And Chicago here works by dividing society into five distinct factions. You get abnegation, who are the selfless. Amity, the peaceful. Candor, the honest. Honest, brave, and erudite, the intelligent. Why, and can't, society they just, why, why is, can't they just call them brave, honest, etc., rather than stupid names? <laughs> because the author is a hack and wants to make young adult money. Okay, right. Do they get uh, name badges? Or are they just like, uh, everyone's got a badge that tells you what your role is? They get different colour suits, don't they? I'm, get, right, okay, I'm getting to all this, okay? I'm getting to all this, right, okay. You um, didn't say interrupt yeah. at any point, so just, No, 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 I, I, I know, I know, but I'm also not going to say yet, because <laughs> what happens is far stupider. Okay, right, okay, so... Um, society is divided into these factions. Um, on, and you go into these factions by having a test when you hit, like, age 16, which figures out which faction you, are, you belong in, like, whether you are abnegation or amity or whatever, Okay. Then, from there, you, you get to choose which faction you're going, to be, you're going to reside in. So what's the point of the test? <laughs> exactly, my friend, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. So, but, however, if you, test for, if you test for multiple of these traits here, you are divergent. And that makes you different and a threat to the social order. Oh, I've got right. no questions about that. That bit, that bit makes sense. That bit actually no. makes... That actually makes sense in the story. The people in charge want you to fit into a certain hole or certain yeah. slot. Okay, in right? case you want... In, yeah. yeah. And, and in case you're wondering, divergent, you don't. Yeah, okay, right. In case you're wondering, the people who run the place are erudite. Right. Yeah. You might, might be wondering, why? Why erudite? Why do they get to run? That is a good question, but I unfortunately do not have any answers for. Right. So in any case, then, you pick your faction. 
okay? And then you are into that faction for life. Faction before blood. Like, so, like, if your family was abnegation and you choose to be dauntless, tough shit. You can't see your family anymore. If you why? break the rule, because then you become factionless. But, but why, why does popping home to the weekend to see your mum and dad mean you, you, you're rubbish at your job and you've got to be factionless? <laughs> What happens if you are rubbish at your job? They have a capabilities procedure in this divergent world. <laughs> reasons, my friend. Reasons. Okay, which, which, okay. which faction deal with HR? <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. So, um, the, our story follows Beatrice, um, who is played by Charlene Woodley, who is a member of Abnegation but dreams of being Dauntless because Dauntless are brave. They also handle security for Chicago, um, which essentially means they work for Eridite. Don't ask, okay? I don't know why or how if, this works. If they're the last city on Earth, what's the security for? Keep making sure people don't riot, yeah. I guess. Right, okay. Why, why, don't, why are they just in Chicago? <laughs> why have they walled Chicago? What's wrong with I'm... everywhere else? Why is it outside a forbidden zone? Okay, um, I would like to explain. However, that is the end of Insurgent, and it is really stupid. I will tell you guys when this podcast is over, because I'm pretty sure we're not allowed. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure we're not allowed to okay. spoil for people. Yeah, we won't spoil it, but okay. yeah, oh okay. fuck it, okay. let's spoil it. Because <laughs> <laughs> we'll be on the point of caring, so we might as well. <laughs> so you want me to tell you? Uh, we'll we'll get there. Let's carry on. Yeah, right, we'll get there. We'll get there. Okay, so we follow Tris, who Beatrice, who wants, who is, um, who is abnegation, but wants. Dauntless. Um, however, she tests as divergent there, which makes her a threat to society. So, but therefore, at the choosing ceremony, she chooses to be dauntless and has to hide her divergent nature. Less, 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 Kate, less evil Kate Winslet find out and do stuff to her. I guess I don't know. How um, how, do, how do you hide being divergent? You, you pick the other boxes. <laughs> well, you see, you see, okay, when you pick your faction, or very least in the case of Triss, she renames herself Triss, because you rename yourself at the beginning of every Dauntless thing, which is why there's a human being running around in this world genuinely calling themselves Four. <laughs> no, no, seriously, the guy's name is Four. Like, I think the number Four, spelled out. As oh, in, I thought you yeah. said Thor. No, 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 the number God. Four. And he, is the rom- and he is the romantic lead, incidentally, which makes any instance in which any character calls out his name like a, like a really okay. overly dramatic deli counter. Yeah. Um, four! Four! Looking for number four here! Um, any case, right, so, um, when she joins the Dauntless, she has to pass a series of tests in order to become true Dauntless. If she fails these tests, then she is not eligible for Dauntless and becomes factionless. You're probably thinking, why? The answer, fuck knows. Okay? Um, but, and also, incidentally, most of these tests are done through virtual reality simulations which reveal your divergent nature. Somehow. She perceives the world differently to other people, you see. Okay? She doesn't, she doesn't just fit into a single class here. She sees the world differently. And that, therefore, allows her to get through problems by combining shit and stuff. I, I don't fucking know. Okay. So then we spend the next pretty much two hours of divergent watching Triss train. Train. We don't know what for. Uh, is, there, just... is, there, is there at least a good training montage? No, uh, no, no, no. You see every excruciating second. So there's, no, there's not a montage. Because if someone's training in a film, there should be a montage. It's, it's, it's Direction 101. No, 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 no montage. You see her endless just training and getting beaten up a lot for some reason. Um, anyways, 
Then the end of the film suddenly rolls. Oh, and she also um, falls in love with Thor, obviously, because he's Theo James, otherwise known as that Dick James from the Inbetweeners movie. Um, and, that, and then the end of the film rolls around, at which point evil Kate Winslet, who is pretty much just missing a Hitler mustache to be Hitler at this point, um, tries to wipe out a faction, the Abnegation faction. Don't ask why, especially since, her entire, <laughs> especially since her entire thing is about how she wants to preserve this class system. Just go with it. Um, and in this giant action finale, um, Triss finds out that her mother is alive and is divergent. Obviously, why not? Um, and therefore, her mother dies. And then her mother dies. Obviously, um, for himself, for himself is divergent because, of course. Um, and then, and Dauntless are brainwashed and turned into an evil killing force to go wipe out abnegation. Um, Triss and Thor foil Kate Winslet's attempts, and then Triss leaves Kate Winslet alive. Because reasons, I guess. <sighs> like, literally, this is literally just so we can have a further franchise here. Like, she leaves Kate Winslet alive purely so we can have a franchise, okay? And then at the end of the film... Triss and Thor ride off into an uncertain future on a train. And yes, this does sound a lot like the ending to the Hunger Games, doesn't it? Um, but they're together. Right, so, Insurgent picks Hang on, hang on. On a train? Where's the train going? Uh, to, to the outskirts of Chicago. Like, to the, to the walls that are propping up the city. Right. They don't okay. actually make what, it out there. What, if, if there's nothing else in the rest of the world, what are the walls protecting them from? Why do you need the walls? Uh, they don't know. There's just the unknown. Also, we'll, also, I'll tell you exactly what the walls are for in a minute. We're about to hit the plot of Insurgent now. Okay. In case you're, okay. in case you're wondering, Divergent, Divergent is two hours and 20 minutes. Nearly as long as this podcast is going to be, then. <laughs> <laughs> we're, 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 nearly, we're nearly there. Hang on. Insurgent has even less plot, but it's also 30 minutes shorter. So... Well, right, that's okay. why it's got less plot, then, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, right. So, Insurgent picks up picks up um, a couple of days, I think it's days, um, afterwards, and Triss and Thor are hiding low, uh, uh, are laying low with Amity, who have been, um, ta- like, who have been taking them in secretly. Um, evil Kate Winslet Hitler has spun the abnegation attack into being a whole bunch of um, divergence, apparently acting rogue or something. Um, and then they are forced on the run there, um, Triss and Thor are forced on the run because the government have, catched, have caught up to them because um, evil Kate Winslet has found a box, a box which apparently contains the messages from the founders of Dystopia Chicago, which is to be opened if the class system breaks down and can only be opened by divergence. What? How is that possible? Uh, we're getting to that. Are we, are we legitimately spoiling this entire segment here? I don't care. This is this is good. This is good. Okay. This, is, well. this is a warning to anyone who doesn't want it spoiled. Yeah. Turn right. it off and then turn it on in about ten minutes when we're talking about our sort of summer preview. Right. Yeah. So, there you go. So, um, yeah. is, so, so is Kate, Kate Winslet divergent then? No, no, she's erudite. She's so the head she's, of erudite, which so means she's the head of the entire Chicago, but, and she's evil. But she's, got the, she's, but she's got the box that can only be opened by divergent. She's only got to find a divergent then. Yeah, yeah, she's got to find a, but not just a divergent, the specific divergent that can open the box. The who king's is the person, the person who is one hundred percent divergent. So there's varying degrees of divergent. Yes, there is apparently. So it could reason. be fifty, fifty-five percent brave and forty-five percent. So, so, so it's a hundred percent divergent because the maths <laughs> is quite easy here. There's five factions, so hundred yeah. percent divergent is they're all five. 
eighty percent divergent yeah. is your four of them. Sixty percent if it, so the maths works. Yeah. This this part yeah. works. This and, part and works. It, oh, and in case you're wondering, in case you're wondering, they figure out who is divergent by literally having a divergent scanner that tells them how much percentage well, divergent they that's are. That's helpful, isn't it? I mean, that's good. I mean, the future's pretty good with these inventions. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, but, and considering they've made it from materials yeah. that were only in Chicago. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so... Dystopian Chicago. <laughs> yeah, right. So, Triss and Four go on the run. They hook up with the remaining members of the Dauntless, who have been freed from their brainwash programming that caused them to go off and nearly murder abnegation. Well, um, yeah. Uh, Daniel Day Kim walks into the film for about five minutes and walks out. Octavia Spencer walks into the film for about two minutes and then walks out again. I mean, certainly she's third bill, despite her scenes totaling about 307 seconds max. Um, Can I ask a question about this Divergent scanner? <laughs> I think you're trying to be one. Go on. Is it fake? Is that the twist? No. That it doesn't actually scan anything? No, it's real. It's like, it's, it's totally real. Because you see, the way you open the Divergent box is to beat simulations for all the separate traits, for, diver- for all the separate individual traits there. Um, which... But it can be... It can be Fixed. You couldn't cheat it. Uh, no, no, uh, no, 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 no. It's, no, not just, no. it's not the Kobayashi Maru, is it? <laughs> uh, no, no. No, no. Um, right, okay. So, Tristan, so, Tristan Ford, go on the run, hook up with the old, like, hook up with the Dauntless, um, and then they go and join the Factionless, who in the first film are basically revealed to be wandering husky, like, zombie husk-style hobos, but in this film are instead revealed to be an underground revolutionary force preparing to take preparing to take the universe the world back from the from the evil Kate Winslet. The world that's just Chica- the world that's just Chicago. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> By um, definition, the world because yeah. all that's left is Chicago. Yeah. Oh, um, head of oh, on the head of a factionless, incidentally, um, is played by Naomi Watts, and surprise, surprise, she's the mother of four who abandoned him as a child because of course. Right. Okay. Naomi Watts is she even that old? Uh, How old is Naomi Watts? She must be, what, 40-something, I suppose? Yeah, Yeah, but it's dystopia, so they're having kids younger, probably. (laughs) With a scanner. I am assuming that four is about mid to late 20s. Four is, like, like, like maybe early 20s, I guess. Like, he's not, he's not, he's not, he's not much older than um, Tris, otherwise this would be totally weird. Um, oh, oh, by the way, also incidentally, there is a very good reason why I haven't mentioned Triss much in this entire plot summary, and that's because she, she spends the whole time in a box. Is that it? No, she's a blank cipher. Like she has no personality or any character traits whatsoever. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> um, she has a whole bunch of like problems that the, that the um, target audience might possibly have just thrown onto her, but has no actual character grounding them. So it's literally just like survivor's guilt for one scene, or. Or, I don't want to be divergent anymore for one scene and such. Okay, anyways. Then, um, Kate Winslet, then evil Kate Winslet, um, puts out an ultimatum. Either Triss turn herself in to open up, like, you know, to help open the box, or she will start killing, or, or she'll start killing off Dauntless and other people, I, I guess. She does this in public, by the way, where people can see and such, and there aren't riots in the streets, but hey-ho. Um, so then Triss does that, because Triss just wanders about from plot to plot. Um, and starts taking the divergent box test there, okay? Which essentially is her working through her various guilts and survivor problems in the most hokey manner possible. But hey, at least it's something, okay? Um, she seems to fail, only it turns out that somebody who starts the series off evil, then turns good, then turns evil again, and then turns out to be good the whole time, is secretly rescuing her so that the factionless can attack and take down evil Kate Winslet. In case you're wondering, this is Miles Teller playing the 
Drake, the Draco Malfoy, basically. Um, but then, at the end of the film, when Triss and Thor are assault, like, assaulting um, the Eredite place and taking down evil Kate Winslet, um, when they need to escape, Triss goes back in and opens the box. Despite the fact that that's what Kate Winslet wants to happen and nobody has any idea what's going to happen. <laughs> she justifies this saying? by literally... She justifies it... She justifies this. She justifies this by turning to Thor and going, I know none of this makes sense. You just have to trust me. <laughs> Does she wink at the order? Does she break the fourth wall when she says that? Quite frankly, quite frankly, I think this would be better if Charlene Woodley just turned, just stared into the camera and did it. Yeah, like like hot tub time machine style, just did it like yeah. that. But okay, right. I so, mean, but okay. like personally, if I'd done all five tests to to be able to get into the box, I'm going in the mm-hmm. box. Yeah. No, it's like like yeah. her first time through, she got through four and then um, was sabotaged in the last one, so that she'd leave. Um, can, like, can so that they could break it out. Can you not take some kind of crowbar or hammer and chisel to the box and open it? No, no, you cannot. Okay, but again, only exactly. happens if you just, only have. You couldn't just get a team of four people from each faction to just do, yeah. do their bit. No, yeah. no, no. It has no. It has to be the same person. Because the scanner, scanner will know if you're cheating the box. Yeah. Okay. So okay, right. Then she passes the final test, which is about her learning to love herself. Yeah. That's, that that like, sounds disgusting. Every time I, every <laughs> time I love myself, I don't learn anything. <laughs> no, no, it's like she's filled with self hatred and how everybody who gets close well, to her I, dies. I feel, like, I feel like that after I love myself. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. So, right. Okay. So she she finishes the last test and opens the box and it's a message from the founders. You see, it turns out Dystopia Chicago is not the last remnants of humanity. It was instead set up with the class system as a test to see if humanity could continue to survive. And divergence were the key. Like, divergence are the big thing, that are, are the key. They were the true discovery of this test here, and they were what the test was for. They were testing for divergence. And now that the test has been complete, people can leave Chicago and rejoin society, who have apparently just been chilling outside these walls the entire so time. Like, so the rest of it, other than Chicago, has just been <laughs> like normal... This is the big truth of the show, then, basically. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 like, because it's... Well, like, we, we don't actually see much outside the walls in this film. That's but, uh, but what the next film's probably going to be, but... But the impression you get is the rest of the world, or America, whatever, has just been normal, and Chicago yeah. hasn't. <laughs> yeah, apparently, apparently the, the last survivors of humanity have just been existing out... have created Chicago as a science experiment to see if this faction system would work, and divergence were apparently supposed to be the moment where we realised, no, hang on, actually, humanity is going to be totally cool, I guess. And now, the, and, and the film ends with the class system dismantled, Kate Winslet in jail with the Patronless and shot, and shot and killed, incidentally, in something that should have happened in the first film. Um, and then everybody going off to live, lead a bright new future in the outside world. No, I don't know how they're, go- no, I don't know how they're going to spin two more movies out of this. Well, it seems like it's perfect. Two more? It seems Jesus. like it's been resolved. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Like, there was a third, apparently, from what I've heard from people who actually read this poor series, um, and apparently these books are god-fucking-awful, um, is that the third book is apparently literally just a whole bunch of backstory, world mythology, and 50 pages of nonsensical twists thrown in for an ending. Uh, and, they're going to basically, split, and they're going to split this into two movies. They're just going to have, uh, what's his name, Matthew Fox in the next episode. We've got to go back to Divergent. <laughs> oh, oh, in case you're wondering, um, the Dissolve spoiler space spoiled to me who the identity of the founder that does the um, reveal box um, thing is, like in the future film revealed. Um, 
should I say this here? I don't know. Maybe yeah. I'll be allowed to. Right, yeah. okay. Um, it's an ancestor of Triss. Oh. Because, again, every, everything is connected to the, this one main blank cipher of a character, because, of course, of course. The reveal I, I read and then literally agreed to with a giant, oh, fuck off. There. It would have been better if inside the box was, uh, what's his name? Doug Bradley as Pinhead. <laughs> just from the Hellraiser films. Yeah. Just to suddenly yeah. open the box and out come all these Cenobites and murder yeah. them. But yeah, yeah. Um, or, that, or, that, or that, was, was Brad Pitt just there just saying, what's in the bar? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that, that's, that's insurgent. That is the plot of the Divergent series. Now you will never have to watch these dreadfully dull and boring and terribly made films. Okay, we'll come back in a few years and, and do the same for the other two films. We'll be fine. <laughs> yes, I'll see. We'll, we'll, I'll see. I'll, I'll come back in twelve months and do this exact same thing again. Why? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Chris, you're not going to remember any of this. No, we got nothing uh, better, Rod, have we? Uh, no, yeah. no. Like, also, I legitimately went into Insurgent, for, like, and I didn't remember anything about Divergent. I, I saw Divergent opening weekend, like when it came out, because you know I see everything opening opening weekend, like, like about, and I couldn't remember anything. Like, like you see everything, like God. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, again, I couldn't remember anything. Like, I can remember it was bad and boring. And, again, a human being voluntarily called himself four, the number four. Um, but I couldn't remember anything else here. And I can remember sort of about Insurgent here as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, that's, that's all the new releases done for now. Um, <laughs> hopefully you enjoyed this new style of reviewing films. We certainly did whilst it was going on. Uh, up, up next, we've got a triple bill, which is our summer blockbuster preview. Up now is Triple Bill, where we are taking a look at the films we want to see this summer. Some are defined by Owen as the 1st of June to the end of August. Yeah, there isn't really any reason for that. I just wanted three months, and it seems like... Accord, like the first thing that Google said somewhere was June to September. So I thought, oh, fuck it, that'll do. Um, so there we go. So, Owen, uh, why don't you tell us what you're picking? Okay, we're going... I mean, last year we did a, a summer preview uh, episode, and James set up some strict criteria, which was we had to pick a, pick a blockbuster we were looking forward to, a non-blockbuster we were looking forward to, and a film most likely to disappoint. I thought this time, we, well, I can't, first of all, I couldn't be asked to, to sort of do them like that. So we're just going straight into it with just three films that you're looking forward to in the summer. So, uh, the first one I'm going to talk about is Terminator Genesis on 1st of July. And hear me out before I hear Callum scream again. The, <laughs> <laughs> I recently watched all four of the previous Terminator movies quite close together and though they do get progressively worse I just have this like feeling that Genesis will be the sequel that that we're craving that we want as Terminator fans and I hope it will be um I mean it may just be a big mess in the end but I'm not convinced it definitely will be like some people have already been deriding it on Twitter and stuff but I'm, I'm sort of optimistic about it firstly it's not being made by the Halcyon Company who were responsible for Terminator Salvation, which itself was meant to be the start of a new series of films. Um, but that project was scrapped when they had to file for bankruptcy. Um, and also it And also it wasn't very good. Um, this is going to be a reboot or like a reset of the timelines. So firstly, they won't be 
stuck trying to make everything tie in too closely to a film that was released 30 years ago anymore. Uh, secondly, the more I've read about the plot or the premise, the more interested I am in the project. Because um, it's still the same old, same old in a lot of respects with a Terminator sent to the past to kill this time Sarah Connor's parents, uh, which ends up orphaning her and thus changing the past. Uh, and then Kyle Reese goes back to save her to find that she's been raised by another Terminator and she's more prepared than he is, basically. And it's also, I mean, the other thing that I'm, I'm not too concerned about, it's directed by Alan Taylor, who did Thor The Dark World, which wasn't a great film. However, I do think there were there were things about Thor The Dark World that I did like, and one of those was the final sort of 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes, um which was basically a big long action scene, but it had humour in it, it was shot really well, it was quite fun, um, so yeah, I mean, the, the, yeah, he's done a lot of TV work, like Game of Thrones, Sopranos, Mad Men, Homicide Life on the Street and stuff, but um, yeah, I'm sort of hoping it'll be him at his best. Also, Arnold is back, of course he is, um, you know, he, he. I didn't really like Sabotage, which was one of my picks for last year's summer blockbusters, um, but it's impossible not to like Arnie, I think. It was good in Escape Plan. I, I quite enjoyed The Last Stand as well. So, you know, maybe this will be him on, on form as well. Jason Clark as John Connor, who was in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, was quite good. Amelia Clark as Sarah Connor, who was in Don Hemingway. Most, the one I'm most looking forward to isn't Jay Courtney, by the way. It's um, Lee Byung-Kun, who was in A Bit of Sweet Life, I Saw the Devil, the G.I. Joe film. Fantastic actor, and he's basically playing the big, big bad Terminator machine in this one. So that should be good. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I suppose I'm kind of optimistic about it, that it'll be good, rather than fully expecting it to be fantastic. But, yeah, two, that's my first pick. Two quick things. One, yep. one Sabotage was one of your picks last year. That, that is makes... my film that I thought would be most likely to disappoint. Yeah, but I was sort of like, that came out in, like, May of last year, which means that you, yeah. again, have purposely hemmed in... the rules, yeah. God. Definitely. I, 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 <laughs> I, just wanted to, I just wanted to spend two minutes going, oh, over Mad Max, so thanks a lot. Um, no, and, bad, secondly, and secondly, yeah. um, I have no idea what this Terminator Genesis you're looking forward to is. I, I mean, I thought we were getting a Terminator film called Terminator Mega Drive, but I, I guess I was wrong. So. <laughs> Very good. Very good. So, okay. So my second film is released on the 31st of July, and it's Southpaw. Yes. Which, uh, I'm basically going from the trailer on this one, because the fact that it's starring, you know, another reason I'm looking forward to it, the fact it's starring Jake Gyllenhaal, or Gyllenhaal, or I never know. It's, it's Gyllen, Gyllenhaal. It's Gyllenhaal, okay, that's that clarified. Jake Gyllenhaal, whose last two I films... I thought you would have known that, it's just like Maggie Gyllenhaal. I... <laughs> yeah, stop it. Okay, <laughs> so his last two films and performances have been, um, I'm going to say surprisingly, but that's only like for the first few, but excellent. He's been excellent in them, you know. And the fact that this is directed by Antoine Fuqua, am I pronouncing that one right as well? Fuqua, Fuqua, I don't know, him. Uh, the guy who did Shooter, The Equalizer, and mm. uh, Olympus has fallen. Shooter and The Equalizer were all right for what they were. The Equalizer more so, I felt, but... Um, yeah, so, you know, he's got a certain style to it. I think it'll work quite well in, uh, well, as you can tell from the title, Southpaw, it's a boxing film, it's a sports movie. I think his style will suit that quite well. 
Um, one thing I did find out whilst researching this, originally it was going to be a film starring Eminem in the lead role. It was basically his project and like a continuation of Eight Miles themes. Yeah. Um, but then that never happened. Um, it was dropped by DreamWorks, I think, and picked up by the Weinstein's, um, who, to be honest, have looked out and getting Jake Gyllenhaal instead, I think. Mm. Um, so yeah, he plays a middleweight champion who apparently suffers some sort of nondescript tragedy and has to regain the respect of his daughter, and etc., etc. Same as fairly standard sports movie stuff. But I believe it's very much a sports film in the vein of, like, perhaps The Wrestler is technically, like, a sports film. More so than a film like Rocky is a sports film, if you see what I mean. It's also got quite a good cast. Rachel McAdams, Forrest Whitaker, Naomi Harris. You know, it's good, solid, promising cast. A good teaser trailer to, to sort of build a little bit of hype. And I just hope they don't... Fuck it up and turn it into a cheese ball like Warrior the other year. You're basically hoping for Weinstein's can not Weinstein for five minutes, basically. If they could just hold that thought, yeah, and just just lay off it slightly. Well, it's also being released in the middle of summer, which gives me a feeling they're not trying to make this an award season contender. So yeah, exactly. I ha- um, so I, I have I have hope. Yeah, me too. So my final film um, is Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon Two: The Green Destiny, which which should be released right at the end of our summer season. Although no specific UK release date is listed. It's out on the 28th of August in the US. But I'm going to come on to that in a minute. So I don't know about you guys, but I was blown away by the first time I saw Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Do you guys like Crouching Tiger? I I think it's a great film. I haven't seen it. Excellent. Okay, well, you should. (laughs) Because, I mean, the spate of films that came after it as well, you know, those that um, infiltrated the West, so to speak, like House of Flying Daggers, Hero, Seven Swords, and so on. Uh, you know, unlike movies like Once Upon a Time in China, which never really took o- over here, which were released, uh, you know, half a decade or so before Crouching Tiger. I, I enjoyed all of those too. So, obviously, the Oscar nominations that it received, including um, for Best Picture and Best Director, they would have helped. Um, so, yeah, it's fair to say, then, that I'm looking forward to the sequel which sees martial arts film legend Michelle Yeoh return, which is fantastic. She was great in the first one. She's been fantastic in other films. It's great to see her coming back. The fact that there's no Chow Yun-Fat or Zi Yang is, you know, it's kind of made up for by the fact they've got the always incredible Donnie Yen involved and Jason Scott Lee, which is quite nice to see him in the film. Um, it's also directed by uh, a guy called Yon Wu-Ping, who... Ooh, I know it isn't ooh. exactly Ang Lee, but fuck me, he's a living legend. Mm. You know, he made Snake in the Eagle's Shadow, he made Drunken Master, Iron Monkey, Wing Chun, as well as working on the choreography for films like Forbidden Kingdom, Kung Fu Hustle, The Matrix, Kill Bill, and of course, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, so it's still got the connection to the old film. So, so yeah, I'm very excited about it. However, however, just quickly, it's causing a bit of controversy over its release date, partly because... It's basically going to be the first Netflix movie. Um, they're co-producing it with the Weinsteins. And uh, their plan is to debut Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon 2 simultaneously at cinemas all over the world and on Netflix on the 28th of August. But as far as I can work out, it's only at the moment listed as Netflix US on the 28th of August. I, but I, I, think, I think it'll happen. Netflix with big acquisitions do like to make sure that they're... Um 
original yeah. stuff might come out simultaneously. So I, I see it happening. Exactly. So I hope so. Yeah. So, you know, it's much like a field in England, which was made available to rent, buy, stream, see in the cinema, watch on TV all on the same day. So, yeah, so there's a lot of cinema chains in America that are kind of furious about it. So... Because they don't like progress. Yeah, so we'll we'll have to kind of wait and see whether or not it does get released and distributed as currently planned. But as a film, which is actually based on a book as well, so it's not entirely without substance, it's something I'm very much looking forward to. Whether that's in the cinema or Netflix will probably come down to whether or not it's shown here, um, but I, I definitely plan on seeing it. So those are my three films for my summer preview. Okay, I'm going to take a, a different approach. Uh, on the on the subject matter, I'm going to go with okay. three films you should avoid this summer. <laughs> um, as I found this a little bit easier, um, but no less. It's, it's not that bad. Uh, anyway, the first film you should avoid is Entourage, spinning off from the Entourage TV show um, ended a few years ago, which I did actually like for the most part. But I just have a horrible feeling this film is going to be self-indulgent and up its own arse in the same way that Ocean's 13 was. It's all going to be a load of backslapping and mates come and turning up to hang out together rather than make a good movie. Um, I mean, it, 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 there are some good things about it. I mean, Jeremy Piven was very good in there as uh, Ari Gold in the TV series. Kevin Dillon was very good in there. Um, yeah, it was an, an enjoyable TV series, although it didn't have much substance to it, I just think the film is going to fall absolutely flat and not have the same charm that the TV series had um, and just be generally abysmal. Secondly, I'm going to go with one of the summer blockbusters, which is the Fantastic Four movie. That one, uh... that one is going to be one to avoid. Don't go and see it. The trailer looks uh... awful. They haven't they made the the bad guy a blogger or something? Um, I've not really been oh. following it that closely. I mean, it's How? just uh, not interested in it really. Yeah. Oh, also, also, how hard is it for non Marvel Studios studios to just make a superhero movie that's fun? Hmm? Yeah. Like, why? Why? Why is it so hard? Why is everybody except Marvel believing the way forward is to Nolanize everything? Okay. Well, the first, the first two Fantastic Four films were opposite in the sense yeah. that they were made primarily for very young audiences. Yeah. Like, 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 I get why. I get. I, I, I sort of get why in the sense of the, mo- the, the reason most people believe the first two films sucked is because they were overly cheesy, and therefore, if you go the way, it's the easiest way of going. Oh no, we're nothing like those old Fantastic Four movies. Yeah. But that's yeah. also the same fact. No, the first two films sucked because they sucked. Making yeah, it darker and grittier does not fix that. Oh God, God, God! I'm I'm worried. I'm worried. Miles Teller is better than Hollywood, and God, Josh Trank, please, please let this be a blimp. Please don't let Chronicle be like the one time you made a good film. <laughs> and the final film on my list is going to surprise a few people. I think Jurassic World. Oh, that is yeah. going to be awful. Not even Chris Pratt will save that film. It's going to be... It, it, the trailer looks stupid. I mean, come training, on, come training, on. Tra- training Velociraptors just looks stupid. This, this raptors! Come on! Come on! Basically, Jurassic Park should have ended after one film. 
the second and third films were watchable at the very best. This film just looks like rubbish, and they were so overhyping it because a nothing else is much on around the time it's coming out in, the, in terms of big blockbusters, and b it's Jurassic Park. It will it will sell tickets. It will get bums on seats. It's going to be rubbish. It's not going to be good. It's going to be like it's not going to be Phantom Menace bad. It's not going to be Attack of the Clones <laughs> bad. It's going to be like Revenge of the Sith bad. So like not the terror. It's not going to be. Just don't go and see it. Basically, stop going to see films that people you know will be shit, and then they'll stop making them. And start with this one. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I can't stop doing that. My job. So. Well, we're allowed to because we're we're critics. <laughs> we can do it, and then we'll tell you not. Basically, don't go see any new films until we've told you whether to go and see them. We're, we're, oh, we're I, I, I can't wait to go and see Jurassic World and then come on here and laugh in your face about how wrong you are. It's gonna, it's <laughs> gonna be bad. I have a good feeling. I have a good feeling about this. It's gonna be. It's gonna be fun. The problem. The problem is, though, opinions are objective. So I could think it's bad, and you could think it's good, and no, neither of us will be wrong. It's subjective. There's a difference. Well, o- objective. Objective means that, like, you look at things in a purely fact-based way. Okay. Well, Semantics. Yes. Uh, anyway, Mike, what's on your list? Um, Jurassic World. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, come on, it's Jurassic Park. I mean, it, it's no, it's gonna, not. It's Jurassic like World. Says, it's going to be... Cool. <laughs> and again, and again fist-bumping raptors. But I haven't seen the trailer. I avoid the trailer, so I'm just waiting for the event. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it at the end of the day. Chris Pratt, at the moment, he's on a roll. Surely he can do enough to lift it. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure. I think if anything can save it, it'll probably be Chris Pratt. Yeah. But I'm I'm with Steve. I'm not confident. I love Jurassic Park, the first one, one of my favourite films ever. This is just it's the moment I heard that they were splicing DNA and stuff, and I just. Well, thought, you knew oh, it was going to happen at some point, didn't you? Where were they going to take the story? They had to splice it. They have to make what? some. Why did they have to splice it? There is a <laughs> because it makes some creature that just nobody's ever seen before. It's, and a, they thi- it's a fucking it's a fucking dinosaur. How many people have seen them before? <laughs> <laughs> Well, everyone in Jurassic Park. Well, yeah, and they're all dead, except they're all in prison, from what I remember. Anyway, I'm looking forward to it. At the end of the day, it should be a good. It should be good fun. My second film is Mission Impossible because they've, oh, yeah, okay. because they've moved it now from Christmas to get it away from Star Wars and put it into the middle of summer, which is good. Um, well, that ending bit, I don't think they've finished shooting yet. Well, that's all right. I mean, they've still got a few months. Um, but um, the last two I've really enjoyed. I think they've got better. Um, and so, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this one. I think it'll be as good as the previous two, hopefully. And um, at the moment, Cruz is on a bit of a, a winner with his uh, action films. So, yeah, that should be good. And my third film is Sinister 2. Because okay. I just love the first one. I, I enjoyed the first one as well. I, just, I think, did you like it as well, Steve, when we reviewed it? I on did, yes. Yeah. It was quite different, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. It'll be interesting where they take it, and we did actually have a chat with one of the writers at Fright Fest, and some of these ideas, where he's going with it, is very, very interesting. Obviously, I'm not going to tell you. Is it balls out torture porn? No, no, no! It's definitely not <laughs> torture. Thank, thank God. 
I've had enough of balls out porch upon for the rest of my life. Um, so, Sinister 2, which opens on August the 21st, just before Fright Fest, which is a shame because I was hoping it would have been at Fright Fest. Okay. And are you are you are you sure you didn't accidentally mean to say Insidious Chapter Three? No, I didn't. Callum, <laughs> <laughs> okay. what's on your list then? Uh, I like it. You left me to last to make sure I have the speed through this here. <laughs> okay, so, um, I've got one for each month actually. Funny enough here. Okay. Um, first off, um, Friday, June twenty sixth, Minions, which is my animated pick for this summer. Um, and yes, it's my pick over Inside Out and Song of the Sea. Um, Song Pixels? of the Sea is really bit... Sorry? Pixels as well? Fuck off. <laughs> 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 I haven't seen the trailer for that, but also it's not animated, so therefore it doesn't count. Um, at least as far as I'm aware, it's not anyway. Right, okay, so um, Song of the Sea I don't know enough about, and Pixar have, been on, have shaken my faith so much that whilst I really, really want Inside Out to be great, I still, I'm still preparing myself for it just being okay. Like, like, cause like Cars 2 was bad. Um, I really liked Brave, but I can't tell you anything about it. And Monsters University coasted for 80% of its runtime until those final 20 minutes, which were great, but was also too, too little too late. Um, Minions, however, comes to us from Illumination Entertainment, who have an equally spotty track record in that their prior films were Despicable Me, um, The Lorax, yeah. Oh, um, terrible. Yeah, and Despicable Me 2. Um, but Despicable Me 2 was a massive step up from Despicable Me 1, which I enjoyed, but also found majorly flawed, and also a huge step up from Lorax for obvious reasons. Um, and also it helps that the minions themselves are the best part of the, of the Despicable Me movies. And yeah. so, therefore, a whole movie based around them, in much the same way that I, about the prospects of old penguins of Madagascar movie, yes, sign me up for that, please. Also, that teaser trailer put a lot, like, just built a ton of confidence in me there. Like, that's a really, really good teaser trailer. There. Like, like, the entire direction was hinting there. Brilliant. Also, that's your new gold, um, animated films, that is your new gold standard for licensed music cues in animation trailers, Okay. Like, um, <laughs> Foxy Lady at the end of that there. That is your new gold standard, okay? That, that's what you need to aspire to. That's how you do it. Right. Second film. Um, this one from July. Um, I was going to do Southpaw, but um, Antoine Foucault has been all over the place since training day, so I'm not confident enough there. Um, I am going to go for one that wasn't actually on my um, Excited Radar until I accidentally caught the trailer for it before The Voices. Um, I'm putting Ted 2 here. Um, right. Right. I really, really like the first Ted. Um, I do. I feel like it's the best. But I feel like it's the best part of Seth MacFarlane, um, like wrapped up into one very, very consistently funny hundred-minute package. Um, and also, especially the way that, and also the way that it treats um, Mila Kunis's character as an actual character instead of just a stereotypical wet blanket. Um, I like that. I think the film is very funny. I think it touches on... I think the worst of Seth MacFarlane is toned down in favour of his brightest spots here. Um, I thought it was great. A Million Ways to Die in the West was bad. It was a really bad film. It was, also, it was all the worst parts of Seth MacFarlane. Like, overly, it was too long. Too many of the jokes were just not funny. Too many of the jokes were running to the ground. Too many, um, too many of the jokes just, like, were just... Uh, any good jokes were running to the ground even further. Too many bad taste stuff. Uh, uh, terrible plotting, overly serious final third, just like mess and such. Ted 2, I was really hesitant for because again, A Million Ways Down West was bad. 
Um, and also, it's a comedy sequel. And as we all know, unless it's a very rare exception, comedy sequels are usually a complete waste of time. Like, that's, that's just how it is. However, I laughed at that trailer. I laughed a fair bit. And I like the fact, and it also doesn't seem like it's going to just be redoing the first movie. Like, it seems like it's got an actual, like, new original plot and point of that to make. Um, and what it was shown in the trailers seemed to once again amplify the better parts of Seth MacFarlane, specifically mentioning the bit near the end where um, where Ted and um, John just sit there riffing on lawyer, like quickfire, just riffing off lawyer references to one another in a kind of just fast-paced kind of manner, which feels like a good kind of Seth MacFarlane, just taking a joke, just of taking a simple joke and spinning it out for as long as necessary to for it to stop being funny and then be funny again. Um, so. Yeah, my confidence is actually built back up in Ted 2. I'm, in, I'm relatively interested and excited to see where it goes. Just as long as it's more Seth MacFarlane and not more Wesley Wilde and the other guy who co-writes all this stuff. Um, and who also, incidentally, other people in charge of Family Guy now, in case you want to know why that show has been shit for years, years and years. Um, also, because I still like Seth MacFarlane as a man. Like, as a guy, he seems like a swell guy, very childish guy, and he's a talented voice actor. I want him to do well. I, didn't, didn't and he, Ted looks didn't, like that. Didn't he survive 9-11? Yes, yeah, well, he, he made he on did. a plane and was ill or something and didn't make it. And Yeah. Yeah. Are so. you about to make a very tasteless joke here, Steve? No. No. The tempta- Just fact-bombing the podcast. Yeah, no, the temptation was there, but no, I'm not going to make a tasteless yeah. joke. I'm not going to make a 9-11 joke. I've already made a wanking joke on this podcast. I can't do 9-11 as well. Oh, we've got to have some line, have we? Yeah. He's got to draw a line somewhere. And that line is wanking. <laughs> right. um, and finally, um, my August pick, Friday, August the 7th, is Ricky and the Flash, um, which is the new film from Jonathan Demme, written by Diablo Cody and starring Mel Streep as an aging rocker who's try- who um, is in- kind of bitter in pursuit of fame and trying to reconnect with her daughter and such. And, that there. and I'm interested there more for the, for the talent than anything else. Like, I realise that we all have biases against Mel Streep now, because apparently all she needs to do is appear in a film, walk onto a film and be immediately nominated for any Oscar. Um, but but she can still bring it as an actress. Um, Jonathan Dem, I really don't think I need to explain Jonathan Dem to any of you people here, do I? At all? Signs of the Lambs, stop making sense. Mm-hmm. It does. And um, also Diablo Cody as well. Um, June now. Uh, Okay, Jennifer's body. Let's forget about Jennifer's body. Let's focus on yeah. Juno. Okay. Yeah. Being like, there's a lot of talent there, and I am, and also music films. Music films always interest me. Um, so, I mean, even when they're crap, like Begin Again, um, like I'm at least, like I will still be interested about a film about music and about bands and such and that. So I'm interested to see where this goes. This could be good. Okay. That brings an end to the triple bill, and we're nearly at the end of this podcast now. The last thing to do is to pick recommendations for next week um, or the week ahead. I'm going with Netflix and 22 Jump Street has just been put onto UK Netflix. Don't have a month, hasn't it? I thought, because I checked the website that, that, that gives the updates and it said that it had just gone on there in the last few yeah. days, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, but anyway, watch <laughs> it. It's on Netflix. Uh, Owen. Um, there's a film that we talked about on, uh, must have been October 2013, I think. It was um, a, a Halloween podcast, anyway. Silent film called Haxan from 1922, which is like a mockumentary, 
which is just fantastic because it's a Danish film about uh, looking at the history of witchcraft. Some absolutely fantastic shots in that in that movie. And they mock up a load of these um, scenes they reenact of like witchcraft through the through the nineteenth, eighteenth, nineteenth century and before. So yeah, fantastic. I, I really enjoyed that. It's on Friday on Film Four um, at well, it's quite a late one, one forty-five a.m. Okay, Callum. Um, my second favourite film of last year is now on Netflix. Life itself is available for you to watch on Netflix UK as of now. So you should you should all you should all go do that. Um, also, Two Days One Night has just been added as well. Um, the 2014 release by the Dardens, um, starring Marianne Cotillard as well. You should. This is overrated. That this is pretty rubbish. Ooh. <laughs> really tedious. Well, oh, quickly, and also, we... and also, I hope none of you, none of you, were desperate to watch movie forty-three because that's been removed from Netflix. And oh, <laughs> what a shame! What a shame! It's only have been removed from my memory. Uh, <laughs> Mike, exactly. What, what have you? What, uh, uh, what are you recommending? Um, Spirited Away on sun, on Saturday, film four at one thirty p.m. Oh, if you haven't okay. seen it, you, you should. It. You should. It's okay. just phenomenal. Well, that's all for this week's Failed Critics Podcast. Here. Thanks for Mike and Callum for joining us this week, and thanks to everyone who's listened uh, and contributed to the website or podcast in any way. You can go over to the website in the meantime, between now and the next pod, and read the fantastic articles going up on a nearly daily basis. It's www.failedcritics.com, uh, and we'll see you around the same time next week. Just with one very quick plug before we go. The next episode is a, it's a special podcast for us. It's our 150th episode. So it might be a bit longer than normal. Jesus even Christ. What, a, been long what, what yeah. am I doing with my life? <laughs> is by longer than normal, stuff. you basically mean as long as this episode has been. Longer. Pro- probably maybe. longer. Yeah. Yeah. What, longer one I'm on? Good Lord. Yes. Uh, anyway, so yes, that's all to look forward to. Uh, and we'll be back with that in the next week or so. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.